down here. <laughs> How do we look? We look all right. We too bright. Welcome. <laughs> Should I wear that hat or this hat? I like this. You think this one's better? Is it the right color blue? Taylor Swift. <laughs> oh, no. That is not cool. That's mean. To my podcast, Taco Community. Hold on, talk into the mic. You put it so far away. <laughs> right there is good. You gotta share it. Yeah. Welcome to my podcast, Taco Community. This is this is my dad. He's he's a nice kid. He really wanted to be a part of this something big, you know. I, so he's here today. Eva. <laughs> It's good that you're here. <laughs> do you know why we're? Do you know what we're doing? Do you know uh, what we're introducing? A podcast. She didn't even. She just said, "Hey, Dad, uh, I'll be on your podcast to help introduce." Yeah. And so I said, "Okay." And I was gonna say, "Hey, guys, it's me, Jason," but she wants to introduce me. So. Well, yeah, it's not your podcast. <laughs> This, this isn't about you. This he is spends gonna... hours a day editing himself. You know, looking at himself. So. This is going to be the best podcast ever. What we are introducing, uh, this is a gap week. I have a bunch of uh, guests that we've recorded and we're getting some in the can. We're trying to get ahead so we can have lots of content for you. This week, I'm releasing a chapter from my book. It's going to be chapter three. What's it called? I forget what it's called. You just wrote it down. What's chapter three called? Okay. <laughs> Eternal life. Eternal life. Yes. Is the chapter. Uh, chapter three, Eva. Uh, this is a. <laughs> <laughs> this is from my book, Leaving and Finding Jesus, released about a year ago. It's trading a tribute of God for reconciling love. Chapter three, Eva. Do you know what it's about? The measureless nature of love. It has time traveling. And uh, do you know who closes out this chapter? I don't. You're in it. Whoa. <laughs> Go read about me. Guys, uh, love doing this podcast and uh, love that I have the opportunity to sit here with my daughter and introduce it. Oh, wait. Hold on, let me think through this. Hey, I want to read a little bit. I want to read. Um, do you want to read it? I want to read nah. a okay, uh, a endorsement from Brad Jerzak for this book. In this beautifully accessible spiritual memoir, Jason flips the tables of any faith far too small and narrow to contain the all-expansive love of God. I'm grateful for any witness whose deconstruction doesn't discard or rob others of the truly good news of Jesus. Here, Jason shares with us a living person who's guided him forward, not merely an idea to be left behind. That was a pretty good endorsement. Oh. It's from Brad Jerzak. You know who that is? I've heard his name. <laughs> um, guys, we're grateful for you. Love being on this journey with you. If you'd like to give, we're listener-supported. You can go to afamilystory.org. Did you really do that? <laughs> yeah. You, you did on this? one of them you did too but uh -huh. on one of them I was like listener supported listener supported <laughs> you can also go there to sign up for our mailing list we also have uh, a Facebook group uh, Rethinking God with Tacos Eva was our thousandth um, 
follower follower whatever you are groupie yeah i was the ta- thousand so taco taconian yeah yeah i like it yeah i like it and we're... <laughs> um we also have an instagram by the same name uh share like retweet what are all the things the kids do now tell your mom tiktok tiktok for all those tiktokers on here <laughs> There are many. <laughs> and uh, if you want to leave uh, an endorsement or a review, you can do that in iTunes or Spotify. The 49ers. Say that again. If it was the Bills against in, Taylor Swift. In the what? In the Super Bowl. Oh, good. If it was the Bills against Taylor Swift, I would be for the Bills. Yeah. But since it's not there and it's the 49ers, which, like, who even cares? Sorry. Um, then it's Taylor Swift and our... Super Bowl theme party is now going to be Taylor Swift themed is what the women have decided. You know what's so funny? You just said 49ers, which shows that you're not even really paying that close. Yes, they're in the Super Bowl. It's yeah. And the, the Taylor Swift. Oh, oh, I He's see He's with the Kansas City Chiefs, not the 49ers. Yeah, but who cares about them? Yeah. <laughs> it's not them who I want to see on the screen. Eva's been into football this year. <laughs> real, man. Real. It's been good. It's been a good season yeah. for Taylor. Taylor Swift. Grateful to be on the journey with you. This is chapter three of my book, Leaving and Finding Jesus. Anything you want to add? Thank you. Go Bills. Go Bills. Yeah. I love you, honey. Love you too. <laughs> Chapter 3. Eternal Life. Eternal Life operates simultaneously outside of time, inside of time, and beyond time. Ionios. She's in love. Imagine three astronauts in a spaceship, light years from their families and friends, depleted of resources, having already faced devastating loss, emotionally and physically exhausted, and now forced to make a life or death decision as the fate of humanity hangs in the balance. Now, imagine Christopher Nolan is directing it. The movie is interstellar, and it's sci-fi at its very best. And this moment in the film is full of fear, sorrow, and tension, as three astronauts, including Brand, a scientist played by Anne Hathaway, and Cooper, a pilot played by Matthew McConaughey, argue over what to do. Cooper. We no longer have the fuel to visit both prospective planets, so we have to choose. Both prospects were planets that might sustain life, and I emphasize might. Brand. The scientist, using all available data, with words like hydrocarbons and mechanics, argued on behalf of one planet. Cooper, the captain, based on reports from a well-respected scientist, argued for the other planet. And the disagreement was intense. Finally, the third crew member, Romilly, suggested, We should vote. That's when Cooper cut to the heart of this disagreement. Well, if we're going to vote, there's something you should know. Cooper looked at Bran and with an accusing tone said, He has a right to know. Bran glared at Cooper. That has nothing to do with it, she said forcefully. What are you talking about? Romley asked. There was a tense silence in the spaceship as Bran wrestled with what to say, but she couldn't seem to make herself respond. So Cooper, resignedly, as though he was revealing an incriminating secret, answered for her. She's in love. A Flux Capacitor In 2000, 
the Department of Medicine at Bielensen Campus in Petitikva, Israel, conducted a study to determine whether remote intercessory prayer said for a group of patients with a bloodstream infection has an effect on outcomes. This double-blind, parallel group, randomized control trial of remote intervention took place at the Rabin Medical Center, the university hospital. At least, that's what I read online. The study's subjects included 3,393 adult patients whose bloodstream infections had been detected at the hospital. The patients were randomly placed in either a control or intervention group. Then, a remote intercessory prayer was said for the well-being and full recovery of the intervention group members. No prayers were said for the control group. Don't get mad at me. I didn't set up the study. There were three main outcome measurables for the study. The researchers wanted to know if remote intercessory prayer would have any effect on mortality in hospital, length of stay in hospital, and duration of fever. After prayers were offered for the intervention group, they compared them with the control group and discovered that while the mortality rate was only slightly better for the intervention group, the length of stay in the hospital and duration of fever was significantly shorter in the intervention group than in the control group. Here is their finding. Remote intercessory prayer, said for a group, is associated with a shorter stay in the hospital and shorter duration of fever in patients with a bloodstream infection and should be considered for use in clinical practice. That's a pretty cool conclusion from a pretty awesome study, but it's not all that surprising, at least not to me. I mean, essentially, they wanted to know if prayer had any measurable impact, and according to this study, and my own experience, it turns out it does. Go figure. However, if you were paying attention, you may have noticed the ellipsis, those three dots I used when describing the findings of this study. For those listening, you may have noticed a pause. That's because I withheld the most amazing part of the experiment for emphasis. You see, this wasn't just a study to determine whether remote intercessory prayer had an impact on sick people. This was a study to determine whether remote retroactive intercessory prayer had any effect on sick people. The study was done in the year 2000, but the cases were polled from the years 1990 through 1996. Yeah. Let it sink in. That's right. This was a study about time travel. You almost need a flux capacitor to understand it. Interstellar love. She's in love, hung in the air like an accusation. Years earlier, several astronauts had been sent from Earth on a one-way investigative trip to planets they hoped might sustain human life. Those who landed on viable planets had sent back a beacon signal. Those first explorations were why McConaughey's Cooper and Hathaway's brand were now arguing in a spaceship light years from home. And the planet brand was arguing for? Well, the astronaut who traveled there years earlier, she loved him. She's in love, Cooper said. And it was an accusation. He'd insinuated that her judgment had been compromised because she was in love. Understand, these were scientists, engineers, pragmatists, systematic theologians. They looked at data, worked the systems, did the math, and made reasoned determinations on planet viability based on the measurables. Now, alone in space, 
having sacrificed everything for the mission, knowing help wasn't coming, nor failure an option. They must make the right decision. Life and death hung in the balance. Love? Love isn't quantifiable. It isn't science. It's not a mathematical equation. The moment you think you've taken its measure, you discover there's always more. Love seems to surpass knowledge. It's wider, higher, longer, and deeper. An ever-expanding revelation, the very nature of God. It cannot be measured against knowledge. And so, for these systematic theologians, sorry, scientists, she's in love, hung in the air like a heresy. Romilly, the third astronaut, looked at Bran with disappointed apprehension. Is it true? Brand, the scientist, hesitated. Then, Brand, the human being, stealing herself, admitted something most of Western enlightenment would consider foolish. Yes, and that makes me want to follow my heart. But maybe we've spent too long trying to figure all this out with theory. Cooper cut her off sharply. You're a scientist, Brand. Brand responded with such conviction that some might even call it faith. And this is the moment in the film where, if you're paying attention, you might just discover the meaning of eternal life. It's also one of the moments my eyes fill with tears every time. So listen to me when I say that love isn't something we invented. It's observable, powerful. It has to mean something. Love has meaning, yes. Cooper cut her off again. Social utility, social bonding, child-rearing. Brand responded, We love people who have died. Where is the social utility in that? Cooper shook his head. None, he admitted. Brand continued, quietly at first, but then with growing conviction. Maybe it means something more, something we can't yet understand. Maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of a higher dimension that we can't consciously perceive. Both men looked at Bran. Their hearts knew the burning truth of her words, but their systematic certainties undermined their ability to trust their hearts. Bran could see the sympathetic doubt on their faces and continued in earnest. Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that, even if we can't understand it yet. Retroactive The Department of Medicine at Bielinson Campus in Petitikva, Israel, wanted to know if a prayer offered in the year 2000 affected patients' health six to ten years earlier. The study wasn't about whether a prayer said today could impact the future. Rather, it was about whether a prayer said today impacted the past. And according to this study, it turns out it does. Here is the complete finding. Remote, retroactive, intercessory prayer said for a group of patients is associated with a shorter hospital stay and shorter duration of fever in patients with a bloodstream infection even when the intervention is performed four to ten years after the infection. Now, I'm aware there may be questions about the nature of this study, both scientifically and theologically. But much like I am not a systematic theologian, I am also not a scientist. I can't speak to whether the study holds up under peer review, nor can I speak to the theological beliefs of the scientists. I don't know their thoughts on petitionary prayer. I don't even know if they were Christian. But for me, 
That's not the point, nor is it why this study made the book. I am fascinated by the very idea behind the study. You see, like Dr. Brand, I too believe love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that, even if we can't understand it yet. Hey guys, interrupt me for a second. Glad you're here. So thankful for this podcast. Thankful to get to do this with friends. Thankful for Derek and all of those who've navigated it with us. Listen, this podcast is done under our nonprofit, A Family Story. Twelve years ago, I had a vision and I wrote it down. I'm going to read it to you. Family Story is a relational community of creatives, family and friends. I see all of us as creatives. We do life together. We envision and express God's love through our gifting and grace. We are worshipers, dreamers, storytellers, and preachers, a family of dads and moms, brothers and sisters, daughters and sons, united by a passion to know and reveal God's perfect love. I feel like I'm seeing the fulfillment of some of that vision 12 years ago. The mandate on A Family Story was to create media content catalytic for an encounter with the love of God. AfamilyStory.org is our website. I encourage you to go there. There's a whole lot of media content there. There's books and articles. Uh, there's films, some music, and uh, this podcast. That's the home of Rethinking God with Tacos, which is pretty dang cool. It's been life-giving, as I said, the community around it, the community of creatives of family and friends that's growing. Uh, it's blown me away. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful uh, for all the relationships, connections, and I'm thankful for all those who've given. Rethinking God with Tacos is listener-supported. If you'd like to support us, you can go to afamilystory.org. Uh, again, we're a nonprofit. And I would encourage you to join us on our Facebook group, uh, follow us on Instagram, all the socials. Uh, if you're curious how to find me on the socials, it's at Jason Clark is otherwise like share, uh, write a review on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, tell your mom, we really are loving doing this and I'm so thankful for everyone here. All right. It's time to get back to the podcast. The sower. In Matthew 13, Jesus told us about the wayfaring stranger. No, wait, sorry. This story was about a farmer who went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. There are many ways to interpret this parable, but in my life, most of the time, it's been presented as a story about the fickle and culpable nature of soil. As a kid, I listened in earnest when this parable was preached for two reasons. First, the preacher made it clear we were the metaphorical soil. Second, I could do basic math. Even as a church kid with an inside track, I could calculate the odds, and they were against me, because three out of four soils suck. 
A lot of those early Bible college prayers could be boiled down to, Dear God, how is bad soil again today? Please help me beat the odds tomorrow. Amen. Those were my daily sin-counting, what-am-I-still-lacking prayers, in which I sought an eternal life destination on a road that would never lead me there. They weren't cynical prayers. They were sincere. The best I had. Because my heart truly desired to be good soil, to be in Christ, and to know eternal life in the ever-present now, fullness, grace, wonder, and trust. So does yours. But I prayed as though my heart couldn't be trusted. I prayed in the context of separation, as if I were fully in Adam, but only sometimes in Christ. And even in those brief moments when I felt like maybe I was somehow in Christ, it was tricky to stay there because, well, all that bad soil. Growing up, most teaching I heard on this parable measured God's love against our bad soil. The parable was taught as a cautionary tale about all the ways our hearts are desperately wicked and can't be trusted. The preacher would say this as though he was doing us a favor, as if I didn't already have a front row seat to my capacity to miss the mark. Sadly, this parable was often presented as a bait and switch where the preacher let us know that despite all our bad soil, there was some good news. Essentially, even though, as many of our worship songs express, we don't deserve it, Jesus can still save us. Well, some of us. You know, the 25% of us who clean up all our bad soil. For the other 75%, well, God help them. Until they're dead, I guess. Then, it's the last stop for that hell train, where there's the gnashing of the teeth, etc., etc., I guess. But what if the point of this parable isn't about our capacity to miss the mark? What if it's not about our ability to measure sin? What if it has nothing to do with mathematical prowess? What if this parable is about a good sower, the transformative power of seed, and the life-giving potential of a burning heart to yield a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown? What if God is love? And he sows himself generously, everywhere, willy-nilly, as if love is measureless and will never run out, as if love is a limitlessly transforming revelation, without end. What if measureless love is the seed introduced into our delusions, deceptions, broken experiences, religious certainties, cruel theologies, ignorance, fear, shame, and limited and unkind thoughts toward the sower, others, and ourselves? What if measureless love is the seed that confronts punishing thinking, dualism, elitism, hierarchy, bitterness, and control? What if measureless love is the seed that invades the self-righteous ego, every broken ideology, every sinful thought, belief, and action? If God's love is measureless, and it is, and if love reconciles the world to himself not counting our poor soil against us, and he does, then maybe this parable is not truly about bad soil. Perhaps, instead, it's about the journey of transformation. Maybe this is a story about what happens when our hearts trust in love as the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe this is a story about that Greek word for eternal life. You remember, Ionios. A life that operates simultaneously outside of time inside of time and beyond time. Maybe 
if we read this story through the lens of reconciling love, we'd stop measuring bad soil and instead discover a measureless kindness that transforms us, our families, our culture, every kind of soil that's ever been or ever will be. Some fell along the path. Isn't that beautiful? The good sower sows on a path as though he has a measureless number of seed. And before the birds could consume it, love changed the nature of the path. It became rocky soil. And in this rocky soil, signs of life could be found. Some fell on rocky places. Isn't that wonderfully reckless? The good sower kept sowing. And before the sun scorched its root system, the seed cultivated the soil and transformed it again. In this weed-infested soil, everything grew. Other seed fell among thorns. And even as the thorns ran rampant, the soil was being transformed. And of course, the good sower just kept sowing. Still, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. When we approach the parable of the good sower through the measureless nature of Christ's reconciling work at the cross, we might find ourselves thankful for the generous nature of greater love and remember the measurelessly transformative power of seed in our own lives. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Time Travel for weeks, I felt giddy about the study performed by the Department of Medicine at Bielinson campus in Petitikva, Israel. I'd tell anyone who would listen about it, including my family, ten times over. I remember cornering my youngest daughter and best friend, Eva, in the kitchen one morning, a few days after reading the study. It's a pretty cool experiment, right? I asked. She smiled. Yeah, Dad, it's kind of cool, I guess kind of cool, you guess? I parroted teasingly. I don't think you understand. She probably did, but she was 13, so she couldn't show too much excitement. That's an unspoken rule for 13-year-olds. And the rule for dads of 13-year-olds is to get even more animated and make them stay and listen to your world-transforming revelation. So, Eva, God is love, right? Yeah, Dad, I know, she said rolling her eyes with exaggeration. I nodded and then started to preach. Yeah, and love is before the beginning and without end, and everything in between. Love is infinite, has always been, and always will be. And love wins even when love doesn't play the winning or losing game. And the width, length, height, and depth of love surpasses knowledge. It's in the Bible, Eva. She nodded. That means we can't come up with enough words to define it or measurements to confine it because love is beyond our best definitions and is immeasurable. None of this was new to Eva, but I had to lay the groundwork. She nodded and gave me the 13-year-old, that's great, Dad, smile. I continued, God, who is love, created time and space. And because he is love, he is both in and outside of time and space, right? Eva nodded again. Okay, so this is what the study seems to say. There were these sick people between the years of 1990 and 1996, and God is with those folks because God is love. Also, because God is love, 
He is with the researchers who were praying in the year 2000. And so, God hears their prayers in 2000 as though they were being prayed in 1990 through 1996. And according to the study, impossibly, somehow, those sick people are impacted. I looked at Eva, put both hands to my head, and then made the mind-blown action. It's time travel, Eva. Time travel, Eva. That's crazy, right? Eva nodded with more excitement. My enthusiasm was catching on. That is pretty cool, she said, though still reserved. Her reservation was definitely because she was 13. But it also could have been because she probably didn't realize I was processing time travel in the context of 2 Corinthians 5.19, where God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. Reconciling love doesn't do the math. That's worth noting. But Eva knew I loved time travel and anything to do with it, so she gave me a thumbs up. Eva, you may not have ever thought about it, but every Christian believes in time travel. All Christians base the entirety of their faith on the belief that the cross reveals a love that transcends dimensions of time and space. Yep, I quoted Interstellar. Side note, and spoiler alert, when the interstellar astronauts took a vote, sadly, Cooper's systematic head won over Brand's burning heart, and they chose the wrong planet. But ultimately, and happily, all were reconciled in the end. And it makes sense. You see, when love transcends dimensions of time and space, eventually, and always, love wins. Another way of saying it, the sower just keeps sowing, and the powerfully measureless nature of seed eventually and always transforms the soil. But I digress. Back to my conversation with Eva. Eva, every Christian believes in time travel because every Christian believes that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, on a cross, reached all the way back to Adam and all the way forward to you and me and reconciled us. Somehow, Jesus foreknew us even before the foundations of the earth. That's also in the Bible, Eva. I could see I was losing her, but when you quote too much scripture to a 13-year-old, that's typically what happens. Then my eyes lit up. Hey, let's try it. She looked at me with confusion and amusement. I closed my eyes and said, Father, I pray over my torn ACL from five years ago. I pray for a full recovery. I pray that you would provide both financially and relationally. I pray that event will provide a catalytic and graceful transition season that empowers us to launch our ministry, a family story, and frees me to write. Thank you for grace, deeper trust, provision, and time to write my book, God is Not in Control. I pray that you would reconcile that moment in our lives and that we, as a family, experience joy, life, and wonder as we discover more of who you are. I thank you that we continue to grow in your measureless love. I paused and then added, and I pray for the beautiful things you did and will do that I don't even know about yet. In Jesus' name, amen. I opened my eyes, looked at Eva, and did a squat. My knee feels great, I exclaimed with a playful smile. Then with wonder in my eyes, 
I picked up my new book, God is Not in Control, off the counter and held it up to show her. It worked. I time traveled, Eva. She shook her head and laughed. Uh-huh. Yeah, Dad. It worked. She left the kitchen, and it wasn't just because her cousin was waiting for her to join him online in their Minecraft world. No, I knew it was also so she, like me, could further contemplate the profound revelation available to us because of the audacity of scientists to perform such a crazy experiment. Like, what if greater love is the measureless revelation of another way of thinking and perceiving, and we can trust him? What if measureless love transcends the dimensions of time and space and lives within us? What if we don't have to pray, what am I still lacking prayers? What if we could live in these finite moments from the infinite? What if eternal life is the ever-present now and operates simultaneously outside of time, inside of time, and beyond time? What if today, while I write, I am also in the cloud of witnesses cheering myself and my loved ones on? Whoa, I'm getting dizzy. What if, while you read this, you are seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father? What if every prayer, promise, dream, and hope is discovered in friendship with a retroactive, proactive, reconciling, omnipresent, measureless love? I was giddy when I first read the study about remote, retroactive prayer. You see, I was born to be loved and to become love, to live one with the sower and produce a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Another way of saying it, I was made for time travel, eternal life, in the ever-present now. And so were you. I wrote about this study to mess with our thinking, to help us recognize our hearts are burning, to remind us of our friendship with the creator of the universe, and to emphasize the mystery of the good news, Christ in us. I told Eva that day in the kitchen, we are one with a love that transcends dimensions of time and space. We are time travelers, awakening to a measureless love that is reconciling, restoring, healing, and transforming, yesterday, today, and forever. And we are daily growing more capable of perceiving it. Even when we don't understand, we can trust this love. And isn't that incredible? She nodded and grinned. Yeah, Dad, it is. Christ in us. Jesus was the unraveling revelation of another way of thinking and perceiving. He was a reintroduction to our native tongue. He made it possible for us to be reborn so we might rediscover. When he walked the earth, he redeemed our narrative so we could live in the finite from the infinite. While God placed us in a world defined by measurements, he breathed his spirit, the measureless revelation of love, into us. We have been invited to trade a finite perspective with an infinite revelation, Christ in us, the hope of glory, and nothing separates us from his love. In John 17, Jesus prayed that we would know this union, this oneness, just as he and the Father were one. Further, he revealed there is no darkness light can't penetrate, no brokenness that can't be made whole, no road he won't join us on, no soil the seed can't transform, no consequence of sin that justice can't restore, past, present, or future. There is no lie that measureless love can't deconstruct. One day my friend Jesus walked beside me on the road, but I did not recognize him. 
He was a stranger, a fellow traveler. He spoke to me while we walked, about all the ways in which I knew him, some beautiful and kind, others distorted and cruel. He told me things beyond imagination, about a love so good that my head wrestled between possibility and offense. And all the while, my heart burned. As the stranger talked, I became aware of the cruel thoughts I believed about my best friend, Jesus. And as we walked, I began to change my mind. I began to repent. I began to leave these thoughts. As the stranger continued to reveal Jesus to me, I found myself joyfully leaving the unkind, insecure, narcissistic, short-tempered, hateful, controlling, retributive, transactional, untrustworthy Jesus. I repented of my belief and participation in these cruel ideologies at the foot of a cross, where I discovered the kindness of Jesus. Sacrificial love, reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting my cruel thoughts and beliefs about him against me. And my heart burned. Then suddenly my eyes were opened and I could see the stranger was Jesus. And in that moment, I discovered the gospel, the good news. There is no shadow of turning with God. Jesus never leaves. Whatever road I'm traveling down, he walks beside me. My fickle certainties, my absolutes, my finite thoughts are swallowed whole in the measureless sea of a love that never leaves me. Neither death nor life. Nothing separates me from his love. This life is a journey, a mystery, an awakening to the image and likeness of God with us, of God within us. An invitation to discover that there is no death love hasn't defeated, no hell love hasn't invaded, no delusion love hasn't infiltrated, no darkness love hasn't illuminated. There is nothing that separates us from the love of God, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, myself or our guests, you can go to afamilystory.org. You can also go to afamilystory.org if you'd like to give. This is a listener-supported podcast, and we are incredibly grateful for your generosity. Hey, we have a Facebook group, and it's pretty cool. Rethinking God with Tacos. You can join us over there. Lots of incredible conversation and community taking place on that page. And you can also follow us on all the socials, Instagram, uh, TikTok, YouTube, and others. Hey, I'd love it also if you uh, went on iTunes and left a review or shared or 
tweeted or liked the podcast. Uh, let your friends know that this is a good place to hear about the love of God. I pray grace and wonder over your day.